Well, again, welcome this morning. I am uh, so excited that I get to stand up here and preach to people for a change. For like, since March, really, uh, well, I've been preaching to Brandon. Um, for, and, and it's a lot easier to preach when there's people in the building. Um, but the good news is, is when we have been online, um, we've been ranging between 150 to 300 people a week watching online. Um, so that is, praise God for that. And that's why we're continuing to do our services online as well, just so we can reach more and more people with the word and, and for Christ. Um, now this morning, and, and forgive me for coughing, I have a uh, terrible allergies, it's allergy season, and which is sort of funny because when you go into the store and you're co coughing, everyone's always giving you the weird look, you know, um, but uh, it's allergies, that's why I have this cough. Um, but anyway, I, I read about a preacher who wanted to impact South Korea for Jesus Christ. So he started a church in his friend's living room. One of the parishioners in his church was paralyzed. And so on a Sunday, one Sunday morning, the pastor went over to her. He laid hands on her and prayed fervently. And she was miraculously healed. Now this obviously got the people in the community very excited. And they started flocking to the new church in droves. Pretty soon they outgrew the living room. So they put up a tent on the front lawn and had services out there. But soon enough, they got too crowded and they had to build a church. By the mid-1960s, this church had 3,000 people attending their church. But one day as the pastor was baptizing several hundred people, he collapsed to the ground in exhaustion. He was rushed to the hospital where he had major heart surgery. And while he was sitting in bed after the, service, after the surgery recovering, he was reading his Bible. And he came across this verse in Exodus chapter 18, verse 18, that read, You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. The next day, the pastor called the elders and the deacons of his church and, and put one in charge of a certain number of people. After the pastor did this, the church exploded in growth. Thousands of people gave their lives to Christ. By 1972, there were 10,000 members of this church that started in a living room. By 1979, there were 100,000. By 1984, 400,000. And today, there are almost 800,000 members of the Yoidu Full Gospel Church, and I believe I'm pronouncing that right, in South Korea making it the largest Christian congregation on planet Earth. They support 85 missionaries from their church, and they have planted new churches in 39 
different countries. This is truly one of the most incredible stories in modern church history. Now something equally incredible happened 2,000 years ago. On the day of Pentecost, a group of believers gathered for prayer 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. And at that prayer meeting, the power, as we were singing in worship this morning, the power of the Holy Spirit came down upon the church. They praised the Lord. They, Peter preached the Word. And thousands of people got saved that day. That day was the day the church was born. Now last Sunday, the universal church, Christian church, observed and celebrated Pentecost. I purposely chose not to preach about Pentecost last Sunday online. Since I knew that our church family would be gathering again today for the first time since March. And I know that God would understand why I chose not to preach about Pentecost, this important day in church history. Because I know that he would know that this is a very special day, Pentecost, and he would want our family to be together in person to observe this day, even if it's a week late. This morning I want to begin by reading from the book of Acts. And I'll start us off with Acts chapter 1. At the start of this chapter, Jesus is still with his disciples after the resurrection and before he ascended back into heaven. At the start of this chapter, at the start of this chapter, the disciples were asking Jesus if now was the time for him to establish his kingdom here on earth once and for all, and if not, when would that occur. Now that Jesus had risen from the dead, the disciples thought surely he would establish his kingdom on earth now by setting up his throne in Jerusalem, overthrowing the Roman Empire, and doing all the things that God has promised in his word to do to bring his kingdom here. But Jesus didn't give the disciples the answer that they were necessarily looking for. You see, in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, Jesus answered his disciples. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After, this, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now can you imagine the sight of witnessing Jesus ascend back into heaven? What an amazing thing to witness. But can you also imagine what the disciples were thinking immediately after Jesus left them? Now, I, as you guys probably know, I like to put myself in people's shoes in the Bible just to see how I would think in those moments. If I was standing there looking up 
and seeing Jesus disappear before my eyes, me with the big mouth that I got, I would have probably turned to Peter and said, now what? Now what? What are we supposed to do now? Jesus just sort of did a mic drop on us, and he just sort of left us standing here. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't really give the disciples any time frame on when his kingdom would be established or when his, this power of the Holy Spirit that he promised would come upon them. The only instructions that Jesus gave his disciples in the moments before he left was essentially, wait. Wait to receive this power from the Holy Spirit that would come upon them. And then they would be witnesses throughout the earth. Now in the next few verses, the word tells us that an angel had to come from heaven and stop by and ask the disciples why they were still standing there looking up. I know if I was there, I'd still be looking up like amazed. Like what? So the angel had to come. And he had to tell the disciples that Jesus would return the same way that they saw him leave. Okay, again, I get these disciples. If I were standing there, I would be standing there again with my mouth wide open, wondering what now, when. But I would also have to remember what Jesus said right before he left. He told us that it's not for us to know when he would return, that only the Father knows that, but that we also have work that needs to be done. But before we start that work, we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit first. You know, there are many faithful Christians today in the church doing a good, good work for God. But I've been troubled lately why the church seems to be so ineffective in this world, at least over the last decade or so. I mean, look what's occurring around our world today. You know, we can sit here and I do it sometimes, but we can sit here and blame the politicians all day long. But the church should really be pointing the finger at, at themselves first. Now don't get me wrong. Again, the Lord is doing a mighty work through his church and changing people's lives even today, including in this church. But I've been asking myself lately, why are we not seeing the same results with the church in this country, I mean the universal church, in the world for that matter, on what has occurred, for instance, in that South Korean church? Why are we not seeing that? Now again, I've seen God change lives in this church because of his presence through the ministries of this church. However, can any of us say that we have seen what happened in South Korea during the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, even to this day? And it's not just about how many people, by the way, we get to gather 
in this church building or any church in this community. Head count is only one indication that God is moving through a church. You see, anyone can grow a church with enough resources, with enough money, or enough people to do outreach ministry. And I'm not knocking any of that. Churches need money to operate. They need resources. They need outgoing people to reach more people for Christ. We need money. We need resources. And we need people to operate this church. But you see, if the Spirit of God is not moving, His power moving throughout all people in the church, no matter what the size of the church. You see, it's just a matter of time then that people leading ministries of those churches or this church, they will burn themselves out. Just like what happened with that South Korean pastor who collapsed baptizing people before he woke up and understood something, understood something was missing in his church. You see, after Jesus left the disciples and returned to heaven, those disciples could have been so excited. I would have been. They would have been, can you imagine? I mean, think about it. Think seeing Jesus ascend back into heaven. And they could have been turning to each other and saying, let's go, let's go preach about Jesus throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Let's go make a difference in our community and tell people about what we have witnessed. Tell people about Jesus. Let's start building the kingdom here now. But they didn't do that at first. You see, if the disciples were to do that, even as excited as they were, they would have failed miserably because they would have disobeyed Jesus. What he told them to do first. Jesus instructed them that they needed to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit to come on before them, to come before them, before going out to preach about the kingdom throughout the land. Now I've lost track how long I've been doing ministry now. It hasn't been that long, but it's been quite a few years. I started as a, a youth pastor at this church back when Pastor Darrell was the lead pastor of this church. Throughout the years of my ministry, I've seen God do a mighty work in this church through various people's lives. And those were great times. There were great peaks, times of celebration for this church. We had some pretty good celebrations in this church over the years, even recently. But in ministry and life, there are always going to be valleys that we need to walk through with the Lord. Now, I'm not trying to be a downer here, but i got to get honest with you all. I've seen way too many valleys and not enough peaks. And I don't know about you, but I'm sort of tired of it, sort of sick of it. And I want to see a change. But I can't make that change 
on my own. Pastor Kai can't make the change. Daryl and Marilyn can't make that change. Any of the people leading ministries in this church can't make that change. You see, if I'm being really honest, even if this church were to go out and hire a new lead pastor, that pastor will not be able to make this change either. No matter how great of a pastor that person is or how great of a preacher that person is, unless the power of the Holy Spirit is poured down over this church. Unless that happens, we will never see lasting change. And we will continue to see too many valleys and not enough peace. And by the way, again, it's not about head count. I'm talking about the bigger churches too. It doesn't matter how many people they get sitting in the church. If the Spirit of God is not there, and I'm not saying it, 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 it is or isn't. I'm just saying that when, you, when the Spirit of God comes down upon a church, you know. You see, the truth is, is when the power of the Holy Spirit raids down on any church, this church included, this body, I can bring any faithful Christian up here in, in this pulpit and preach. I can even bring a Christian team from our youth group to bring you the word, and that team would speak with power. You see, we, like that pastor in South Korea, we need to be all in this together. We need to be in this together as the Holy Spirit moves through each of us. His power, His presence, if we want to see real and lasting change. After the disciples were finished looking up into heaven and all, they, they left that area, they gathered together and they prayed together while they waited for this power to come upon them. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came, upon, came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were sitting in. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now did you notice that it said they all were filled with the Holy Spirit? It wasn't just their leaders like the Apostle Peter or John. Now, if we were to read further, we would know that it was Peter who stood up and he preached that day about Jesus to the crowd. Peter was basically their pastor. Well, he was. He was their pastor, so he got up and he preached. But if Peter were the only one filled with the Holy Spirit that day, I argue that very few people would have listened to Peter. Some would, surely. But the word says all the believers who were gathered together that day were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God was moving big time. You see, if you want to get a church body to the peak of a mountain, that's how you get a church to the peak of a mountain. By the power of God, by the power of the Spirit. And there is something else interesting and profound written in the next few verses that is very timely, by the way, 
for today, what we're seeing on our news channels and seeing in our society today. Listen to what it says starting in verse 5. It says, Now they were standing in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and they heard this sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because of each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in his own native language? I'm going to try to get all these names right. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Bygaea, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Siron, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? Now when you read through all these names, these, these are different races of people that are gathered there. Black, white, Asian. Arabs. This gathering started by a small group of Galilean Jews who believed in Jesus Christ and followed Jesus Christ that had the power of God come down upon them across and it spread to other Jews who were there, to Gentiles, to other races, black races, again, white races, Asian races, Arab races. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit that day rocked that place. Do we want racial harmony in this country? I mean, are we really? I hear the, the pundits on TV talking about racial harmony, and I get it. And they're all trying to figure out how to make this happen in this country. But do we really want to see it? Do we really want to experience it in this country? then we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come down upon the churches so everyone out there will see that God is in this place. That's how you bring racial harmony to a nation. Just like what happened there on Pentecost. And it can start here, even in this small group of people. You see, when the Holy Spirit fills us, there is abandonment. What I mean by that is that we abandon all of our prejudices towards one another while coming together into the arms of Jesus Christ. We even abandon our own prejudices against ourselves, which I'll get into in a moment. But let me first speak about our prejudices towards other people. There is a story told that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, and for who our denomination is named from, changed his view about church division after a, a dream in which he was first transported to the gates of hell. In that dream, Wesley asked, are there any Presbyterians here? Yes, was the reply. Remember, he's dreaming that he's in hell. Any Roman Catholics? Yes. Any Congregationalists? Yes. Wesley hesitated. Surely, not any Methodist, I hope. 
to his dismay, the answer was yes. Suddenly, in his dream, he stood at the gates of heaven. Once again, he asked, are there any Presbyterians here? No, was the reply. Any Roman Catholics? No. Any Congregationalists? No. Then he asked the question that really interested him. Are there any Methodists here? He was shocked to receive the same stern answer. No. Well then, he asked in surprise, please tell me who is in heaven. Christians, was the answer. From that dream, it is said that Wesley determined that unity was essential to the church's success in her mission. And it isn't just about unity across denominational lines that is essential to the church's success in her mission. It is unity across the entire body of Christ, which includes the unity among all age groups, sex, and of course race. Our very own church vision statement for living hope, this church is based around this entire concept. How are we doing, I ask, with this? Now I think we do pretty good, but we still have some more work to do. But again, we can't do it alone. We can try all we can, love each other as much as we can, and it won't be enough. We're broken people. We need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us to be effective. On that first Pentecost or that day the church was born, there were witnesses there that day, other than the early first early Christ followers, witnesses from many nations, including those who were looked down upon as the outcasts. Those were the Sumerians, which is interesting that the Sumerians are listed in there. In those days, the Sumerians were the people who were very much mistreated by the Jewish people. You can call it racism. They were there. There were people of all races. Now that the Holy Spirit came down upon that place, racism was destroyed in a moment at least among the early church. And another thing, when the Holy Spirit fills us, our personal plans are abandoned. You see, that's why I mentioned that when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we abandon all our prejudices towards even ourselves. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus once said, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In the context of this verse, you see people were coming to Jesus and saying to him, oh, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you, but let me go first and go back and say goodbye to my family. Now the point that Jesus was going to get across to them was not about saying that it was wrong to say goodbye to their family. It was not about that. But what it was about was looking back on your own desires, on what you think needs to happen in your life. It's giving it all to Jesus to follow him. 
if you want that power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you, giving it all. Wherever Jesus decides to take you, whatever he asks you to do for him and for his kingdom, you do it. You don't look back at your own desires. Now I know these words by Jesus saying those kind of people are not fit for his kingdom. I know those are harsh words, but it is the truth. It is what he said. And the truth also is that you can't do this on your own. You can't put your desires aside. You can do it for a short time, but in the long run, you're going to fail. You see, for instance, if Jesus calls you to the mission field, I don't know if he's called any of you, but when he does, he'll let you know. Calls you to go to Africa or any third world country. Your desire may be to stay here in Spokane. Or what if Jesus simply calls you to speak out boldly in his name against the powers of darkness in this world, such as against racism, hate, abortion? It's not easy to do in the long run because you're going to have opposition against you. You need to have the Holy Spirit with you to be effective and to do this in the long run. Which leads to the next point. When you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you are given boldness. Many Christians wonder why they experience so little in the Christian life. Why their life seems no different than any other unbeliever. It's because most Christians are only doing what they can do in their own power. And if those Christians even attempt to try to be more bold in their walk with the Lord, within their own power, again, it's just a matter of time before they will burn themselves out. And for many, sadly, they'll quit altogether following Jesus. When a Christian is not filled by the Holy Spirit, they will never get to experience anything that can't be explained or attributed to their own effort. Several years ago, engineers were building a new bridge over the East River in New York, and they discovered that a wrecked hull of a ship sunk many years before, and it lay right in the middle of the center piers that were to be built. Powerful machinery was brought in to remove the sunken ship, but it would not budge. Then one of the engineers had this unusual idea. He said, why don't we just let the tide raise up the ship? And then we'll bring some strong cables in. When the tide comes in and attach it to the hull, we'll pull it out. That's what they did. As the tide came in, the barge was gradually lifted up, and the sunken ship was dragged out into the middle of the sea and moved out of the way. You see, when God's Holy Spirit, it moves, he moves like the tide. He comes in quietly, comes in slowly. But when he comes to us with enough power, he can move mountains for us. That's what we need. That's who we need. Not just in the church, but in our own personal lives. 
so we can live for him in his peace and his love. And we can talk to others about him in that same peace and love and in power. So what does the spirit-filled church look like? A spirit-filled church lives in boldness. As I mentioned, that means we need to witness for the Lord in all aspects of our life. When the Lord prompts us again to speak the good news, we speak it boldly, even if we face opposition. When the Lord prompts us to say no to things that go against his law, which is sin, when we are tempted to sin, he gives us the power to say no and to live holy lives as witnesses for him. And wherever we go, we live in this boldness of the Holy Spirit, that Spirit-filled life. And when we do this as a church body, together, we begin to start seeing conversions. We begin to start seeing people flood into the arms of Jesus Christ. Unbelievers will begin to notice that something is very different among us. Even if these people may not believe at first, they will still experience the presence of God. They won't be able to deny it. They'll still have a choice. But they will experience him through us. Many of the unbelievers of all backgrounds and races who were there that day, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the church, were amazed. Now listen, this is all, I'm almost about ready to finish here. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where as Peter replied to these people, Remember, these are mostly unbelievers standing there in utter amazement. And Peter stands up in boldness and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Listen to this. And about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. That's the power of God moving. 3,000 people in one day. The unbelieving people experienced the presence of God that day as Peter spoke with boldness. Church, that's our mission. It's not that complicated. We don't have to figure out the latest church program, children's program, or youth program to grow this church, although we'll do some of those things, but that's not what it's about. If we want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's who we need upon this church, then we need to start getting real about our relationship with the Lord. What that means is we need to repent. Get on our knees before Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive us of our own sins. To even confess our sins to one another that we people we trust. Cry out to the Lord to revive us, to wake us up, to pour out his spirit upon us. Now I have asked Pastor Daryl to come up and pray for us this morning. Daryl has been in ministry many more years than me. And Daryl has experienced this move of the spirit personally in the past. Now it wasn't because, and Daryl will be the first one to admit this, it wasn't because he was any more special than me or any of you. 
Daryl just knew he was a sinner in need of forgiveness. And he needed the Lord in his life and the people that he was with that experienced that move of the Spirit knew the same thing. And they repented and the Spirit of the Lord came down. This can happen again. We could be revived again when we start getting real with the Lord. So I'm going to ask Daryl to come up and close us out and just pray for us. And if anyone wants to come up here and pray, you're welcome.